Hello and welcome, friends, to another edition of Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, here on your community radio station. We are Forward Radio WFMP Louisville, broadcasting to you at 106.5 FM from the historic Habern Building here in downtown Louisville. We also live stream anywhere you are. You might be on the beautiful Vancouver Island in British Columbia, and you can still listen to us at forwardradio.org. The reason I say that, my friends, is I'm excited to go international with the program today and speak to uh, our friends across the border. Uh, we are going to talk about oceans and ocean plastic today. I'm so excited to be covering this. With my guest joining me in the virtual studio is Katherine Anderson, Education Coordinator at a wonderful organization called the Ocean Legacy Foundation, which you can learn more about oceanlegacy.ca. Welcome, Katherine. Thank you so much, Justin. I'm absolutely delighted to be with you, and I really appreciate appreciate your taking an interest in well, what we have to talk about today. I know, because here's the irony, Catherine. I'm speaking to you from a long, long way from any ocean here in Louisville, Kentucky, right? So absolutely. I, before we dive into what you have to offer today, I'm excited to share uh, the new initiative that you've got in education around plastics in the ocean. And before we start diving into like issues about plastics specifically, why should someone here in Louisville, Kentucky care about our oceans? It's actually a really appropriately placed question. I think a lot of people who don't live within 50 kilometers of a coastline wonder why it's important for them to be concerned about ocean plastics since they don't live anywhere near that problem. The truth of the matter is we are all contributors to that, whether we recognize it or not. Essentially, plastic pollution is the result of mismanagement of plastic on land. And so something as simple as a bottle cap that falls off of your mm. your bottle while you're driving down the street you know maybe you have it in your backpack and then it gets washed into the storm sewer well it doesn't take long that water's untreated and that water's going to hit other small streams and tributaries and eventually streams tributaries lakes rivers they all flow towards the ocean so whatever plastic ends up in a small what you think is an inconsequential water source eventually will lead its way to the ocean and Although all the oceans have different names, it's one ocean. Oh, it's right. just given a name for its <laughs> geographic region so we can locate it, but it's really just one body of water. It's all connected. So the truth of the matter is that currents carry the ocean plastics everywhere in the world. Right. And so it's a concern for everyone, no matter where you live. Well, and listeners to this program care about the health of the environment, right? Here in Louisville, we're often thinking about, well, that, that means parks and trees and densifying our urban environments so we don't have to pollute as much. But when we step back a little bit, as, say, the astronauts did, right, when they took that first picture of the blue ball out in space, right? The reason it's blue is because of our oceans and the vast majority of the planet is actually water, right? That's correct. And so... That means that there is an incredible opportunity for problems to go wrong when you're dealing with such a mass on the planet. There is opportunity for things to go wrong pretty quickly. And, you know, we really are at code red status. Um, mm. If you've taken a look at the problem with any depth, you'll see that this has been a crisis for quite a long time. And the plastic production that's taking place is outpacing our current efforts to mitigate that problem. 
So we really do need to look at how we can get a handle on this and do it with intention and purpose and united. And that's why our curriculum is global, because we know that this isn't just a local problem. It's not just a North American problem. It exists everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. So the Ocean Legacy Foundation, and the reason we're, we're, we're talking to today, has just released an updated Epic Academy, which is a, a free online platform that provides global education on plastic pollution, cleanup efforts, and solutions for creating plastic pollution-free lands and waters. And folks can find that curriculum at edu.org oceanlegacy.ca. But let's start with the basic facts. So, you know, where does plastic come from? This is obviously a man-made problem, but why do we have so much plastics? Well, I think one of the things that I was amazed to learn from our co-founder, Chloe Dubois, um, the very first lesson in our curriculum teaches you that petroleum is the source of plastic. And she surprised me by telling me that she was shocked at the number of people that don't realize that plastic is a petroleum-based product. And it's really such a problem because of the fact that it is it's cheap to use. It's, it's a product that can be easily molded and it can be easily shaped. It's very light and easy to transport. So that typically makes it cheaper than plant-based alternatives or other recycled materials. Mm. And the sheer volume of the plastic that is produced, um, National Geographic actually estimates that somewhere between 8 and 13 million metric tons enters the ocean annually. Wow. And if you look at that, if you want to break that down into something that feels manageable, that'd be about five grocery bags of plastic trash for every foot of coastline in the world. What? <laughs> so you can appreciate the problem wow. is pervasive. Like when we break that down, it's also if you think of the big garbage trucks that come past in your neighborhood and empty your huge bins, an entire one of those on a daily basis gets dumped into the ocean. Wow. Wow, just plastic. This is just, just one plastic. of the threats to our oceans, right, is is plastic pollution. But that's that's just a staggering quantity to think about. Uh, and it, it is. And it ties directly into what we're seeing here in the Ohio River Valley, which is the petrochemical build-out that is happening as fracking and other fossil fuel extraction methods expand in our region. There is all of these sort of byproducts of that industry that people want to make a buck off of. And the way to do that is to manufacture plastics. And so there's pollution at the point of manufacture as well. Uh, And then now, now we're thinking about, well, where does all this stuff end up and of course it's ending up in our oceans right yes and you're right and one of the pieces that the curriculum actually deals with in the in the second half is actually addressing this problem on that level so on a policy level on a development of infrastructure level and looking at how we can help convince manufacturers that at the source we need to be producing less. We need to be choosing different alternatives and we need to be helping to support the extended producer responsibility so that companies who manufacture their 
products are also then responsible for managing the packaging that they come in and how how they're actually yes becoming involved on a corporate and manufacturing level is key this is a problem that needs to be managed on a variety of levels it's not the just the individual consumer who might be looking at this but it is also policymakers government it is manufacturers and producers it's the people who develop infrastructure in communities globally because we live in North America where we have considerable infrastructure development compared to developing nations. And when I look at the map and hotspots, we see that there are places, you know, someone, and I don't know from firsthand knowledge, but someone was telling me just last week about what California's recycling system is, and it seems to be virtually non-existent. And yet you can appreciate that the population there is massive. And so I'm looking at all the different ways that we can help get the word out about this curriculum, because the more people that sign up and take the curriculum, the more impact we're going to have. I know that myself having a little bit of background in this area, I was previously the education coordinator and community outreach person for a zero waste events company in Vancouver. And I thought I knew a lot until I took this curriculum myself. (laughs) I will tell you, I actually cried in lesson four. Wow. I was astonished at what I learned. I was made aware of a lot of things that I really didn't know about. And it pointed out some places in my life that I had become, I was either unaware or had become complacent Mm. about using plastic myself. And it has really, it's so a quick example in the last um, four weeks. So I, I took this curriculum late this summer when I was applying for this position Mm -hmm. And in the last four weeks, I have gone from having a recycling bin that was full after about two weeks. I've now had two weeks, and I, the only thing that's in the bottom is the tins of cat food. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's all that's there. <laughs> because yeah. I've, been, I've really been able to make some ex- impact uh, in my own awareness and consumption yeah. of plastic. And wow. find alternatives. Wow. And we're, we're going to talk about that today for sure. Um, but th- I think this conversation is actually really well-timed because here's why I say that. We're on the, ver- we're on the eve of something called America Recycles Day, which is November 15th. And this, this day was created by the industry that generates all of the trash we have to try and recycle, right? They, Coca-Cola and all the others, right, who, who give us all this stuff we're supposed to recycle, uh, have put the burden, the industry has put the burden on the consumer to say, look, this is your problem to fix, and what you need to do is to recycle. So we've we've been hearing that message for a long, 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 long time in, uh, in North America, right? And so, uh, we're, and then annually we're reminded on America Recycles Day that, that it's our job to fix this problem. And, and certainly individual actions make a difference and uh, we, we do need to be responsible global citizens. But the but this full story here is so much bigger than that. And even after all of this education about recycling and all of this infrastructure setup, you know, what percentage of our plastic is actually being recycled? 
I am very sad to say that there is um, only 9%, 9% on average right? <laughs> is getting recycled. Uh, so 91% either ends up in landfill, uh, improperly incinerated, or littered. Yeah. And so that it, right there, there's, there is definitely, you know, a key component to the, to the issue that we're facing. And I just don't think that it's only 9% because there has, you know, there's been insufficient messaging or infrastructure about recycling. Like it's pretty much universal. And yet we've still got this massive problem of plastics ending up in the ocean. So there's, there's much bigger story here. And, and, Absolutely. and certainly the solution starts with reducing the amount of plastic that is manufactured and consumed right that's where we got to begin yeah absolutely and so that that's going to take some doing you know um here's a simple example and i posted this last night on my own personal facebook page and i was really surprised at how much uptake it got but i went uh yesterday to the grocery store and i've been looking for a way like i wanted to pick something up at the deli i wanted a little bit of sliced meat and a couple of items that were in the deli case where someone was actually serving me and i've gone in search of local grocery stores for example that have that do do they have butcher paper i've just because, you know, everything comes in a bag. Everything comes in a single-use plastic bag wrapped in plastic. They have a little plastic sheet that they, they're wearing plastic gloves. They have a little plastic sheet that they pick up to grab your product. Then they place it in another plastic Ziploc bag. Now, I can tell you that as, as an education coordinator um, who's delivering this kind of a curriculum, I'm definitely looking to walk my talk. Right. So uh, <laughs> I'm I'm looking at all these things and I'm... I went to my local grocery store. I've recently moved house and I lived in a small community and just about 300 meters down the street was my local grocery store. And I went in to pick up things there, found that I could not buy produce that wasn't in plastic. Mm. It was all either in a little plastic sheath or it came in a clamshell container Mm -hmm. or it had some, it was a cucumber that had the the shrink wrap on it. All of it had plastic. And I, I, sat there with my mouth agog because again until I'd taken the curriculum it wasn't registering for me I was just buying and so last night when I went to the store I knew that because of COVID and because of health regulations I wasn't going to be able to give them a reusable container that much I knew so I went to the wrap aisle went to the food wrap aisle and I thought can I buy butcher paper can I just buy a roll of my own butcher paper fresh brand new and hand it to the clerk and say would you mind wrapping my products in that instead well you couldn't find butcher paper on the shelves either really? wax paper yeah wax paper and parchment paper but it was all plastic so then i went to the butcher counter and i i scoped it out and i could see the clerks watching me <laughs> and what i ended up <laughs> like what, what are you doing inspector. strange person <laughs> yeah exactly so what i did was i talked to someone i chose a member of staff that was um I just had a sense. It was a little bit older and thought might might be willing to work with me and brainstorm. So I said, hey, I'm wondering if there's any option that you have for me to choose something that's paper versus plastic. Can you wrap my 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 meat in in paper? 
Whopper. And I said, what do you have back there? That I said, could you do in the deli takeout container for chicken wings? Because we have little compostable cardboard containers. And he's like, oh, I can do one better. And he walked over and they do takeout sandwiches there that they wrap in brown craft paper. Perfect. So he was able to p- take two sheets of that and put my purchases in that. All right. So I took a shot of it and I put it on my Facebook pa- page and just said, hey, if you know, <laughs> if you're a shopper at this local store, here's a life hack. And instead <laughs> yeah. of using plastic, you can do this. And I've had so many friends chime in and say, wow, what a great idea. Never thought of that. Yeah. So what it really what that is is just a temporary workaround because my intention is as the education coordinator for ocean legacy foundation to write that large chain introduce the curriculum to them and ask if they're aware all the ways they're using plastic in their store Mm. and are there alternatives that they would be willing to switch to that can help us to begin stemming the tide on a producer level Absolutely. So, yeah. Sometimes you just have to start by asking questions, right? Uh, I'm speaking today with Catherine Anderson, who's education coordinator for a Canadian nonprofit known as the Ocean Legacy Foundation. She's joining us from beautiful British Columbia today, and they have a new curriculum out called the Epic Academy, and you can find it at edu.oceanlegacy.ca. And even for those who live on the coasts and, and interact with the ocean frequently, in a place like North America, they might say, well, I don't see the problem with ocean plastic. It's invisible, right? Why is that? What's going on there? Well, I think, you know, when our first press release came out, one of the very first pieces of feedback we had was someone who lives locally here in the Gulf Islands, a small island um, called Galliano, a couple of islands over from where I live. And he said, you know, in my 37 years of, of being a journalist, I've never seen an ocean plastics problem. Hmm. And my first response was no. I mean, not to him, just internally was no, of, of course you can't. 99% of the plastic uh, that is in the ocean is actually flat found below the water surface. Right, right. And so it's not visible to the naked eye. And there is very likely microplastic that in fact yes. is on his shores, but is microplastic is plastic, which is five millimeters or smaller. So you can appreciate that unless you have laser vision and are actually taking the time to get down at ground level, um, you may not identify the, the plastic that is there. But I can tell you that um, it, the plastic has reached every shore. The studies have shown that it has reached every shore. And worse than that, it's the microplastic um, has actually made its way into phytoplankton all the way down to the bottom of the Mariana Trench. Uh, For those listeners who may not know what Mariana Trench is, it is the deepest known ocean trench on Earth. If you were to take Mount Everest and drop it into the Mariana Trench, you would still have two kilometers (laughs) above the tip before you reach the surface of the ocean. So we're talking about a very deep place and intact yeah, I mean, it's, it's 11,000 meters deep, which right. in feet is much larger. <laughs> like it's as far, and, far away from us on the surface of the ocean as a plane would be flying way up high, right? So, of course, yeah, we can't see all of this problem. And yet the ocean life, who we are really dependent on, even if we don't yes. eat fish, but of course, a lot of humanity depends on fish protein to survive, right? Um, Absolutely. And, and those are the creatures who are literally swimming in this problem every day, right? 
Yes, and they don't know the difference between plastic and food in many instances, and you will see this in um, in very clear visual examples within the curriculum. You will be shown examples of plastic and food that that marine life eats, mm. and for all intents and purposes, it, they're almost indistinguishable, even to us as humans. Wow. So. Um, You'll also see in the curriculum um, what happens when marine life actually ingests that plastic and what the consequences are and the ultimate end. It, it is the ultimate end for them because ultimately they consume that plastic to the point that, of course, it cannot be digested mm -hmm. and it ultimately it fills their stomachs and then they die of malnutrition. Right. So it's, it's very um, unsettling to see. And certainly if you are in an ocean going community that does depend on a variety of marine life for your food source, then it's very concerning. And of course this plastic doesn't go away. It goes up the food chain, right? So the, the shorebirds that feed on the fish and the krill and everything else, they end up with all these plastics in them as well, too. And I mean, I think many of us now, thanks to social media, have seen some of the images of what this looks like uh, in our in our animals uh, once they've ingested all this plastic. And it's it's certainly very troubling to, to see, but we don't see it a lot. And, and when we do see it, we hear about things like the Pacific gyre or the garbage patch, right? And that is some of the ocean plastic that is floating. And, and that's where some of the cleanup efforts have been attempted, right? Can you talk about cleanup efforts at all and like how hard it is? to get plastics out of the ocean. Yeah, and that's the thing is that the Great Pacific Garbage Patch um, is the Pacific Gyre, and that's the one that people are most familiar with. But in fact, there are actually five gyres across the, across the oceans. Um, there's um, North Pacific, South Pacific, North Atlantic, South, uh, wow. South Atlantic, and Indian. And the Indian Ocean Gyre. Wow. And so those gyres basically are about ocean currents. Yeah. And so it largely has to do with the currents carrying the plastic. And one of the massive problems with the plastic that does float and does is visible at the surface. Just 1%, is, you know. <laughs> yeah, that tiny 1%. Um, and when you think about the size of, the, of the, the garbage patch, and for anyone who's seen an image of it, they know um, it's just a very unsettling thing to see because what happens is the fact that it's so intact for such a lengthy period of time, you have wildlife that begins to nest there, that begins to make their homes there. You know, other sea creatures that live in the water will will attach themselves on the underside of that. And one of the worst concerns is how the plastic will be heated by the sun's rays, retain that heat, and then it warms all oh, of the surrounding man. water, which then, of course, impacts ocean currents. Right. And as we know from the extreme weather, I mean, your country sees the craziest hurricanes mm -hmm. now. I think back to when I was a kid and what I used to see on TV by way of hurricane coverage versus what we see now three or four decades later. And it, mm. it's not the same animal. Mm. Our ship captain, our other co-founder, James Middleton, was telling me I was I was on a field visit with him in August and he was telling me how he loves to fish for tuna and when he first started fishing for tuna on the boat he used to go 200 miles offshore and then it was about 100 miles offshore 
and then it was 50 miles offshore and said, now he can go and catch tuna in our waters five to 10 miles offshore. Mm. And the reason for that is the change in the temperature of the ocean, Mm. because the tuna prefer colder waters and he used to have to go much further in order to find those waters. And now that's just not the case. Yeah. So that's a short period of time that that has transpired. And it's very concerning. Yeah. Well, let's let's return to sort of a consumer side uh, and and t- and talk some more about this curriculum, uh, and and just educating people more about how recycling actually works or or doesn't work. So, uh, let's talk about those chasing arrows and the numbers. You flip the product on the bottom and you look at what's the number on the bottom of my plastic bottle or container. Uh, tell us about those numbers. What do they really mean? This is one of the biggest challenges I think that recycling systems face right now. Most people will assume that that, that's actually called a resin identification code or an RIC or a RIC. Uh, So the resin identification code actually means that it's a guide for recyclers who are processing broad categories of plastic resin. But the truth of the matter is that even within Uh, one category. So say you're looking at category number two, that's where you find the really sturdy plastic of shampoo bottles and laundry detergent bottles. Um, It's not the type of plastic that's used in food packaging. It's it's much more for, uh, it it has a better barrier for things that need to be contained. Mm -hmm. And so within that category, you can have two codes, uh, one code, but products look entirely different because of things like additives and fillers and flame retardants and stabilizers. (laughs) There's a lot of different uh, chemicals that get added to plastic. And so those um, numbers are in somewhat, they've almost become obsolete on a consumer perspective because people will flip it over and say, oh, it's got the recycling triangle. I can recycle it. And they'll throw it in their curbside bin. Right. That's not the best place to be looking for that information. It helps do the basic sorting at the plant, but is something you'll learn in our curriculum is that that symbol has actually been changed now. First to take the arrows, the recycling arrows off. Oh wow. It's just a triangle with a number now in huh. the new production of products huh. to help equate the fact that it's not a guarantee that something is recyclable. Where you will learn that is actually going to the, um, in your local region, you need to contact the people who collect your recycling. So if you're in a small town or a village or a municipality, you need to look on their website or contact their office and get a list of what's actually acceptable for recycling in your area because it's not universal region to region it depends on who your material handlers are the equipment they have available and the processes and suppliers that they have available to them so that's a really key piece on not making an assumption that you see that little number and arrows that it can be recycled but check with your local region to find out what they actually accept yeah a a great example of that is like styrofoam packaging you almost always see the chasing arrow on it and nobody recycles styrofoam i mean give me a break it's really hard so yeah and i'm curious about that where you live because in my region styrofoam is recyclable all right not not at the curbside (laughs) yeah and when i look on social media this is one of the biggest complaints i see we do crinkly plastic so like chip bags cracker bags cereal insert bags those are all recyclable as is styrofoam 
Wow. But not in your curbside. And the reason for that is because those items are very light. They can fly away during transport. Sure. They also take up a tremendous volume in the truck. Wow. Styrofoam can be compressed about 65 times. Yeah. So then when it's baled, you can have huge amounts of styrofoam in this tiny little bale because we've removed all the air. Wow. And it's de, de, um, just compressed. We've compressed the styrofoam and gotten rid of the, the expansion that's put into polystyrene to make that happen. So it's really nice to see that those, those things are being able to be recycled. The challenge is people who don't have cars, people who they have to go to a depot. They have to go to a depot or a collection point where it can then be taken to the correct processor. So not everyone has access to that collection point. Not everyone has space in their home or is willing to create a system where they can store it until they can take it. So it's really only the most diligent of people who will end up utilizing that system. So this is one of the pieces in the curriculum that we deal with is how to then develop infrastructure and systems in your local region. Someone like you who's like, oh, you can recycle styrofoam where you live? Well, how can I make that happen in my region? Our curriculum is going to teach you that. Yeah. And I overstated the case. We have an example like that here in the Louisville area for clean white styrofoam, the kind that is used in shipping, televisions, and things like that. Uh, only that kind of styrofoam, you can take it to one place in in southern Indiana over in New Albany called Foam Fabricators, and when during their business hours, if you have transportation and can get it over there right, they might accept it. But your clamshells from your takeout, you know, that kind of stuff, you're never going to find a way to recycle that here. Yeah, um, well... And, and it's a problem. And I'm pleased to say that, you know, that's something that we have expanded to. I've watched the expansion. I moved to this province 21 years ago from Ontario in the center of Canada. And I came from the nation's capital, which was Ottawa. And we actually could do all numbers one through seven when I left Ottawa at that time. And I came here and felt like, oh, I've taken a step backwards where recycling (laughs) is concerned. And so it's been exciting to see the expansion. Um, Even one of the things that happened with Ocean Legacy, um, when I did my last education coordinator role with the Zero Waste Events Company, uh, one of the things I used to do was work for our provincial stewardship organization. um, It's called NCORP or Return It. And they're the people who provide, they collect a deposit and then provide you that money back when you return your, your beverage containers to give you the incentive to bring them back. And I used to educate people that we wanted the caps off. Well, our co-founder, Chloe Dubois, ended up collaborating with Vancouver Island University to write a report called the Missing Millions Report. Hmm. And it talked about the fact that over a million beverage bottles and caps were going missing on a daily basis in Hmm. this province. And what we were able to do was to um, introduce that to the people who collect it and get them to change their policy. So now they ask you to leave your caps on everything because that way they can be collected. Otherwise, they get, they're too small, they're they get small, lost in yeah. the system, and they're part of the leakage that ends up in the ocean. Right. There are, there are pieces of plastic which are technically recyclable, but if you just throw them in the recycling system, they're too small. They're not going to get ca- caught by the mostly non-human machines that are separating things here. Uh, and, and it's just too, we can't manage t- little bits of those almost microplastics, if you will. Uh, and, and so those end up getting landfilled and or getting lost and like ending up in our sewers and in our 
in our oceans, ultimately. I'm speaking, exactly. I'm speaking today with Catherine Anderson, who is trying to address this problem of plastic pollution, especially in our oceans. She's education coordinator for the Ocean Legacy Foundation, a nonprofit up in Canada, joining us today from Vancouver Island in, in British Columbia. So tell us more about Epic Academy. Uh, it's this curriculum that's available at edu.oceanlegacy.ca. Uh, who is this for? Who is this curriculum for? This curriculum is really for everyone. Over the last few years, we've developed a 10-part curriculum series, which really breaks down all of the foundational building blocks that you need to know if you have an interest in the plastic pollution uh, crisis or issue. And we've separated it into two components. So essentially, it's, it's designed for those ages 14 plus, but we also have educators that are adapting that curriculum for for younger people Mm. as well and we've separated into these two components so the the first half of the curriculum is lessons one through five which are the basic building blocks that will introduce people to ocean plastics so we start you off with plastics 101 what are plastics we actually help you understand the chemistry of what's going on in plastic we help you understand what microplastics are um, how plastic makes its way into the ocean and why are ocean plastics a problem, I, which I'm sure your listeners are starting to certainly get a handle yeah. on at this point <laughs> in the conversation. Um, and then we help people to understand what they can do to prevent, reduce and clean up ocean plastic. Once we have that foundation in place, we want to look at how do we integrate that into action-based solutions Mm. in our communities. Mm. So that curriculum is still available to individual learners and educators, but it's also directed to people like waste and recycling professionals and uh, those who are policymakers, those who are interested in lobbying uh, for change with government, those who are interested in helping to develop infrastructure in their region. And so what we do is we get you to understand how ocean plastics are different than land-based plastics. Uh, We teach people how they can build an ocean plastics recycling system. We look at how to encourage behaviors that will help prevent and clean up ocean plastics. So not just on on a personal level, but how you can actually tackle your own behavior and then ripple that out to your family and your community. Um, We help you to look at what policies are being used globally to prevent and clean up ocean plastic and how to advocate for policy changes in your community. Mm. How do you talk to media? How do you talk to your local government? Mm. And we actually give you some actual templates to write your your local member of government to advocate for specific policies. We even help you understand like what policy is and Um, what some plastic policies are that you can do for change in your community. So essentially, we've taken our last decade of work and tried to create a framework that will help guide people in their journey based on what the starting point is in your community Hmm. so that you can then connect that to the greater whole. Hmm, That's awesome. This sounds like a super valuable resource, and it's free to everyone, right? It sure is. And, you know, it, we may reach a, a, a tipping point where eventually the curriculum will cost money. But at this point, um, our co-founder, Chloe Dubois, when she just presented, as I was starting uh, with my position and in, in going full time in September, um, uh, she was presenting at a sustainability conference in Korea. So I had access to her presentation and I jumped on in to have a look at it. And she has a goal of reaching a million learners. I'm enrolling a million learners in this curriculum. And 
at, at the current, at, at that moment, we had about 200 people and 40 educators. <laughs> so wow. I was like, okay, I've got some, I've got my work cut out for me. <laughs> and, and actually, that's something that I would like to say, Justin, is um, those first five lessons and the basics in the Epic Academy are created and designed specifically for educators. So there are an entire series of downloadable mm -hmm. lesson plans, presentations, activity sheets. There are group activities. There are reflection exercises for students to be able to think critically about what they're learning mm -hmm. and how they're applying it in their lives. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I'm really excited about. The traction that we've gotten to this point was quite organic. Uh, it grew without someone like me at the helm actively engaging nice. people, and that's why I've been brought on through the um, the generous funding of the of the Telus Corporation here in Canada. Um, they have a sustainability mission, and they want to see you know innovative technology combined with uh, compassion, empathy, and great work. And so they put their money behind this curriculum because they believe so strongly in it. And so my my goal is definitely to get out to institutions like yours where you have uh, students who will be putting their great minds to problem solving in this area and can help enroll themselves in the curriculum, get other great like-minded people to become involved so that eventually we will have a, a global community of ocean stewards who are helping to clean up, uh, protect and preserve um, marine life, human life and having a really healthy ocean. It's wonderful. And, and in a way, this concern about plastics, it is a way that can connect people in a place like Louisville, Kentucky, to the oceans and to ocean health and to ocean creatures um, that we might not have that direct connection otherwise. But when we think about it that way, it's like, I'm going to avoid plastics today because I care about our oceans. Uh, th that connects us to the broader world in a wonderful way. Uh, and I think it's also really important when I'm thinking about going about my day trying to be plastic free and just zero waste in general, when I take those steps, it starts to open up new doorways to thinking about all kinds of things in sustainable living that I might not consider otherwise if I was just going about my day being a regular old consumer. When you when you do something that seems pretty difficult, like trying to not use any plastic to, or single-use disposable plastic today, then you have to start thinking about, well, gosh, maybe I need to buy in bulk <laughs> right, <laughs> which Absolutely. I've never done before. Or maybe I need to grow some of my own food or harvest some of the food that's all around me instead of buying it in the first place, right? Or maybe I need to do something like can my own vegetables instead of buying them in a plastic container, right? And so all yeah. of these sort of life skills can start dominoing once you start opening the window or closing the door to plastics and opening the door to another world, right? And that's exactly what happened for me. To yeah. the, when I went to drop my recycling in, I thought, oh, okay, I'm, I have to be conscious. Um, in the, I'm staying in a condominium right now. And so we have um, multi-use bins at the bottom, big, large blue bins. And something that's happening is we have a very good community of recyclers here and they're getting over full before they're collecting them. So I know that they empty on Fridays. And so I need to go down there and get my recycling in so that it's in the bin, <laughs> a yeah. nice empty bin on a Friday. <laughs> so I thought, oh, it's Wednesday. I should check my recycling. And that's when I opened this morning and looked and thought, there is literally four cans of cat food that's here. Amazing. That's all I have to recycle. Yep. It's tin. And so I was, I was, 
astonished realizing wow, I have actually made some really serious strides in my consumption of single-use plastic. And, you know, my things were, I was in a hurry and I didn't want to cook that night. And so I was grabbing a prepared meal. Mm -hmm. And so it's even just things like looking at what other things can I buy where they're providing me that brown compostable container? Yeah. So yeah. maybe I just make a different meal choice. Yeah. It's, it's, you're right. It's the littlest things, but once you become conscious, mm. then begins to snowball and mm-hmm. it really can take effect quickly mm-hmm. and recognizing my own impact thinking, okay, so let's imagine that every person in the building where I'm living right. had the same impact. Yeah. Then, we wouldn't be out of space for recycling <laughs> by the end of every week. Right. And so, and it was something I'm happy to see is that they obviously cottoned on and somehow building management has, um, has also cottoned on to this fact and they were, are now actually emptying our bins. Um, it seems uh, midweek as well. So wow. they're starting to, to, you know, change the infrastructure. Yeah. Right? <laughs> wow. Yeah. And you know, the other thing about just taking these steps to try and be conscious and avoid plastics, it's kind of going to slow you down, at least at first, until you get into the rhythm and figure out how to do it, right? And we might say, well, look, that's so inconvenient. I don't, I don't have time for that. Well, yes. uh, honestly, I think we all need to slow down a little because we're living too fast and it's too destructive, right? And, and t- yeah. taking some time to consider your impact and ways you can actually live without all that garbage uh, yeah, is life-affirming. Yeah, and I, I would fully agree because the sense of pride I had when I looked in my recycling box, I literally shined my nails on my shirt and gave them a little buff. And I also realized that, you know, I when I think about people who want to, and of course, everybody's family situation is is very individual and very unique. So, I, you know, we can't speak for all people in this by any stretch of the imagination. What I would challenge consumers to think about is you've gotten that plastic into your home. You found a way to get it there. So now you need to think about how you're going to deal with it. If you realize, if you take this curriculum and realize, geez, you know, when I actually contacted my plastic recycler, I found out that, you know, like 30 or 40% of the things I've been putting in my bin, in fact, are contamination. They don't actually get recycled. Wish cycling, um, right? Yeah. Wish cycling. You got it. Wish cycling is wishing I could put that thing in my bin. It would be recycled, but it's not actually recycled by my local provider. So it's it's doing a bit of research and understanding what is actually accepted, mm-hmm. making choices that will help you to align yourself with your local system so that you're, you're not creating what ends up being landfill. Mm-hmm. And so making different conscious choices and then also thinking about, okay, well, could I create, you know, a, a, a place in my neighborhood where those of us who may not have cars can store our plastic until it's ready to go to the depot. Maybe I can connect with other like-minded neighbors who actually are interested in this, realize that it's a problem and what kind of solutions could we come up with? So I challenge people to think about if you were willing to bring bring it into your home and you found a way to get it there, then use that same energy. And many people say, well, well it came by Amazon. I'm going to challenge you to question that. <laughs> question that in your life. Question about overnight delivery of right. everything to your home right. and the infrastructure it took to get it there. Yeah. So if, if we're looking at 
a world where by 2050, there will be more plastic in the ocean than fish. Ugh. We have really not got very much time. I'll still be alive then. Mm. I do not want to see that day come mm. when there are more less fish in the ocean than there is plastic. That's, that's a sad day because it means we'll be killing off our population of, of wildlife, of humans. We can't sustain what we're currently doing. And your program is all about sustainability. So I do hope that your listeners will connect with, with the curriculum at edu.oceanlegacy.ca and um, tap in to this free program and let it spur their imagination um, to consider their own habits, to become involved on a community-wide level, join up with other like-minded individuals such as you and and your colleagues at the university, yeah. and think about the ways that you can be making um, what might seem like insignificant change. But I will, I will assert to you that. Remember when our parents used to say, "Just take care of the of the pennies, and the dollars mm-hmm. will take care of themselves." <laughs> It's a very similar thing. I think, uh, you know, people will assert that, oh, I'm not going to worry about my bottle cap or my dental floss pick or, mm. you know, those, it's all so small and, and insignificant. Right. It's just a drop in the bucket. Ultimately, when you think about those tiny little things, but you multiply that by the number of people on earth, it's a massive impact. Mm. And if we have massive impact in creating the problem, think about the massive in- impact we could have in solving it Absolutely. if each of us just did a little bit. That is the perfect note to end on. You have just tied it all up in a wonderful bow for us as we reach the end of our time. Catherine Anderson, it has been such a pleasure connecting with you across the border over there in, in Vancouver Island. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today and inspire us. Thank you so much for hosting me, Justin, and I am just delighted at your interest, and I hope that the curriculum will make an impact in your life, too. Absolutely. All right. Stay tuned, everybody. Coming up in just a second, I've got your community action calendar with all kinds of ideas about how you can get engaged in sustainability this week. So stay tuned, my friends. Flow like a river to the sea, knowing it's all in you. So
are back here on Sustainability Now with me, Justin Ma, here on Forward Radio, your community radio station. I hope your pencils are sharpened and your calendars are out. This is a big week for sustainability. Of course, it's the midterm elections coming up on Tuesday, November 8th. If you haven't already voted early, you will have the opportunity this Tuesday, the 8th, from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. The polls will be open here in Jefferson County. You can go to GoVoteKY.com for all the information you'll need about where and when you can vote. And most importantly, that's how you can access a sample ballot for your precinct. There is a lot on the ballot this year. I know it took me about a half an hour to vote. There's so much to think about. With two constitutional amendments, uh, U.S. and Kentucky congressional seats, nine different candidates for Louisville mayor, and every single judge on the ballot, as well as school board races, you <laughs> most definitely want to do some research before you show up at the polls. So you can find your sample ballot at GoVoteKY.com. And Forward Radio encourages everyone to get out and vote on Tuesday, November 8th, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Your participation in our democracy is what makes it vibrant and an actual democracy. If you don't vote, there is no democracy, so please do it. Now, also on Tuesday, you're going to have some Election Day stress, and we want to help you with that at the University of Louisville. We are holding our annual pumpkin smash on Tuesday the 8th at noon right there at the SAC ramp uh, at the clock tower there in the heart of campus. If you don't know what to do with your old pumpkins and jack-o'-lanterns from Halloween, well, please don't put them in a landfill where they're turned into methane and contribute to the greatest crisis facing humanity, the global climate crisis. Instead, you can turn them into stress relief, worm food, and organic fertilizer. UofL is here to help you compost. So drop off your old pumpkins and any other plant-based fall decorations in front of the red barn right there at the clock tower. Uh, buy the pumpkin composting sign. You can do it anytime through noon on Tuesday. And at that time, everyone is invited to the annual pumpkin smash. And it's just composting fun and election day stress relief. You won't want to miss it. More information is at louisville.edu slash sustainability. Now, on Wednesday, November 9th, there's going to be the first edition of something new called Solar Share. It's a focus on bringing you, the solar enthusiast and supporter, the most interesting, locally relevant, and useful information possible from the Kentucky Solar Energy Society. And our first Solar Share will be on Wednesday, November 9th at 7 p.m. on Zoom. This is the first of its bi-monthly hour-long Zoom calls featuring the latest solar news, information, and know-how. Each call will feature an interesting and thought-provoking keynote speaker with time provided for Q&A. And we'll cover topics such as getting the best out of your solar array, finding the best installers for your project, breaking news about Kentucky Solar Utility, uh, Public Service Commission, or other legislative news. You can ask the installer technical or system operating questions. And there'll be updates about uh, Kentucky Solar Energy Society's projects including Solarize projects, consumer protection, and workforce development projects. The very first session will include a presentation from Lexington-based Adeline Renewables Chief Operating Officer Nathan Kreider on what it takes to develop and build a utility-scale solar project right here in Kentucky, step by step by step. 
With so many large utility projects now on the books in Kentucky, it will be a subject you'll certainly want to have a better grasp of. So join us on Wednesday after Election Day at 7 p.m. on Zoom. You can find out how at kyses.org for the Kentucky Solar Energy Society, kyses.org. Also on Wednesday, unfortunately, at the exact same time, you're going to have to pick one of these things to do Wednesday, November 9th at 7 p.m. There's going to be a free screening of the incredible documentary Truth Tellers at Jefferson Community and Technical College. Uh, Truth Tellers is a new documentary film chronicling the lives of courageous Americans fighting for racial equity, climate justice, and indigenous rights through the eyes of artist Robert Shetterly, a longtime activist and artist. The film explores the intersection of these issues, stressing the urgency of coming together to confront them and galvanizing our resolve to uphold our country's founding ideals. Shetterly's paintings uh, have chronicled over 250 portraits of great Americans and etched inspiring quotes into the backgrounds of each. From the fight to remove symbols of hate to sustainability and climate activism, and from whistleblowing to the rights of indigenous people, Shetterly uses his art to explore these activists' response to some of the most pressing issues of our time. From contemporary activists for racial justice like Bree Newsom, Zana Bryant, and Reverend Lennox Yearwood, to climate activists like Bill McKibben, Kelsey Juliana, and Bill Bigelow, Shetterly puts them in the context of our great civil rights leaders like John Lewis, Fannie Lou Hamer, and Bayard Rustin. Truth Tellers is both a story of Shetterly's art and activism, and a history lesson of what is required of a citizen in a democracy. So what a great thing to watch after Election Day. Come on out for Truth Tellers at 7 p.m. in Jefferson Community and Technical College in the Health Sciences Hall, room 166A. Heck, we can see it from the Hayburn building here in Forward Radio. So come on out to Health Sciences Hall at JCTC, room 166A for the free screening on Wednesday at 7 now, skipping to the weekend, on Saturday the 12th, Louisville Metro is offering a community forester training from 9 a.m. to noon out at the Metro uh, Forestry Office there at 9300 Whips Mill Road. In this class, you will not only learn how to plant a tree and lead volunteer groups on planting days, you'll also learn why tree planting is so important for our city. Trained community foresters serve as lead volunteers at our plantings across the city. Our awesome foresters work with volunteers and community members to increase Louisville's urban tree canopy through plantings and education. Our canopy restoration efforts would not be possible without our awesome community foresters. The class will take approximately three hours with an indoor lecture portion and then a hands-on planting portion. Volunteer expectations include you must be 16 years or older to become a community forester. You must volunteer at four tree planting events per year. And you must become a lead volunteer and assist folks who have not planted before. You can sign up for this free training using the My Impact app. And you can find the link to that and everything else at bestparksever.com. But it's this Saturday, 9 a.m. out at Metro's Forestry Office on Whips Mill Road. 
Also on Saturday, November 12th, Trees Louisville is in need of volunteers to help with some tree plantings. Uh, they'll be at uh, Central High School at 10 a.m. on Saturday, and Eagle Scouts looking for someone with tree planting experience to help his small group plant about 12 trees there. You can email Morgan at treeslouisville.org if you want to help out with that. There's another opportunity coming up next week as well. Uh, they'll be out at the West End Residential Tree Planting on November 22nd from 10 a.m. to noon and on November 29th from 10 a.m. to noon out at Olive Street. Uh, they'll be doing a planting there in the Parkland neighborhood. So if you want more information or help out with those, just email morgan at treeslouisville.org. Also Saturday, November 12th in the afternoon, Kentucky Resources Council is having their annual meeting from 1 to 3.30 out at Bernheim Arboretum and Research Forest just south of Louisville. All are invited to the KRC's annual meeting. You can learn from environmental leaders, hear from KRC's director Ashley Wilms, former guest right here on the program, and the work of KRC in 2022 and what's coming up next. You can celebrate our 2022 award winners and join other environmental Environmentalists who are interested in making positive change for our state. From one to two, there's an optional hike and tour with Bernheim staff, an easy hike led by those staff highlighting restoration efforts, art installations, and more. Then there'll be networking time at Light Refreshments starting at 2 and the annual meeting from 2.30 to 3.30. It's a free event, but registration is required since space is limited. You can find the link to register and more information at kyrc.org. And lastly, I want to let you know about a couple uh, hikes coming up at the Louisville Nature Center next weekend. On Saturday the 12th, there's going to be a fall foliage hike from 2 to 4. Watch the forest turn to crimson, golden hues, and learn about trees with Jacob, their experienced naturalist. This is a perfect time of year to scoop up leaves and identify the many tree species in the forest, all while enjoying the crisp fall air. You can get your tickets and learn more at louisvillenaturecenter.org. You can also learn there about the Sunday event. On the 13th, there's a bird migration hike from 10 a.m. to noon out at the Nature Center. Take your birding to the next level. On this guided hike, Jacob will help participants to identify some of Louisville's beautiful birds. It's a great time of year to catch migratory species. Participants will ID will learn ID tips such as field marks, behavior, habitat, vocalizations, and more. This is for all skill levels of birding, ages 12 and up. If you don't have any binoculars, you can borrow them. And that's all at the Louisville Nature Center on Sunday, 10 a.m. to noon. Again, get your tickets and learn more at louisvillenaturecenter.org. That's all the time we have for today here on Sustainability Now. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. And one last time, I want to urge you to get out on Tuesday and vote, 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 vote till it hurts. It's so important that we all express our opinion. We've done so much work here on Ford Radio to get the word out about everything that's on the ballot and all of the candidates. And we hope you value that and put it into practice by voting on Tuesday and tune in to Ford radio. We're going to be doing special live election coverage on Tuesday, November 8th from 9 PM to midnight. I'll be anchor hosting as democracy now covers the national scene and we'll be bringing you the local results as well. So Ford radio is your source for all election night coverage starting at 9 PM right here on 106.5 FM and forwardradio.org. And I look forward to being back in your ears again next week, my friends. Be well. Mm-hmm.